Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hey, this is Chris saying hello from South Central Wisconsin, where spring has finally arrived and my favorite part is the frogs starting to sing again it's only 40 degrees today i don't know how they do it they're out there in 40 degree weather still singing just amazing i love seeing all the birds that are coming in it was a little icy and muddy on the trails for a while um a lot the ice really stuck around in the shadowy parts of the forest for quite a while and the snowmobiles kind of pack it down so it gets pretty thick ice But I hiked out uh, last week, I think a total of almost 15 miles down on the trails and um, just missed them so much I decided to even go without my horse. But then I finally did haul out. I took Grace out and um, saw a fox on the trail and man, it does you good if you haven't been out riding in a while and and you finally get to throw your leg over the back of a horse and go. It was just amazing. So enough about me. Let's listen to these new audio files, and if you ever thought of sending in but just haven't yet, I would love to have your audios in the next episode. So without further ado, I bring to you episode 16 of the Endurance Horse Podcast. Hi everybody, Jenny Chandler from New Zealand here again. Really enjoying the New Zealand summer. Sorry, Northern Hemisphere friends freezing in polar blasts, but we were suffering here while you were enjoying your summer. So if you remember last season, Tigger had injured himself with the beach land yacht incident, and there I was. I had no horse to ride other than my young one, Richie, so he wasn't doing much. It was his first season, and we had the Makahiwi Challenge coming up our inaugural marathon event. It was going to be three days over Easter, 80 kilometres a day for three days, 240 kilometres all up. My friends and I had gone across to the Shazada in Australia the previous year, and having done just the mini Shazada, only 120 kilometres over three days, rather than the 400 kilometres over five. But I was hooked. The whole atmosphere of the Shazada was just a huge amount of fun and we'd really enjoyed ourselves so really was looking forward to having a go at training my own horse for the Makahiwi challenge that wasn't to be he was injured so I borrowed Rivervale Shiloh from a friend of mine Ashley got him here trained him for a month before taking him to the ride that was a bit haphazard because I didn't know the horse. I didn't know what I needed to do to train for a marathon. Some of the horses doing the Shazada, they don't train them the same as they do for other events. Um, the horses come in less fit because they and more rested because they have to, and they often build up fitness as they go through, particularly the ones in the shorter uh, mini Shazada. In fact, 
there were a couple of horses there. It was their first ride and they'd barely been broken in and they completed it. So I really had no idea what I was doing training this new horse that I didn't know for an event that I'd never ridden. But I just kind of, you know, did a bit and hoped it would be enough, hoped it wouldn't be too much. So first day of the event and we all start together at five o'clock in the morning like a normal endurance ride. With the Shazada and with our Makahiwi Challenge, which we'd based very closely on the Shazada rules, not exactly the same but very similar, subsequent loops after that first loop, you just have an hour window in which to start. So, say, the course would open at one o'clock in the afternoon and you needed to start by two o'clock. It didn't matter because when you started because your time would be taken and your ride time would be taken from whenever you crossed the start line. And I had noted in the Shazada that this opened up a whole range of tactics available and I'd worked out that if you were behind another horse and you wanted to catch it up, that if you rode with it, that would be very difficult because they could stick with you. And so a good tactic for if you wanted to catch somebody would be to start behind them if possible and then you could catch them up. There's not much they could do about that um, except by going really fast but they wouldn't really know where you were. So I sort of had a few ideas on tactics um, which is probably more than most of the other riders did because most of them hadn't experienced the Shazada. So we all rode the first loop in more or less the same time. Um, Little Shiloh He's only a young horse. He was six years old, I think. Um, and But he has phenomenal heart rates. So at the end of the first loop, I was actually a minute ahead simply because he had vetted very quickly. Now, there was a bit of a story in that first loop. I was riding with my friend Emma and we were trotting along a nice grassy trail, hill up to the left, down to the right, nice wide track, you know, tractor can drive along it. She was on my right and suddenly her horse slipped, his hind leg went out from under him and he rolled down the hill. She fell off, he actually rolled right over the top of her, which was scared the crap out of me. Um, I imagine it scared the crap out of her too. But And then she sort of sat up and it was like the horse buggered off, he was gone. And I'm like, are you okay, are you okay? She got up, she seemed okay. So Shiloh and I set off to try and find the horse. He'd gone a couple of hundred metres further along the course and there he was standing on a little hillock and blood all over his back legs. I thought, oh my God, he's holding his leg up. I thought, broken something, something's really bad. But when I got a bit closer, I couldn't actually, there were no actual major wounds. He had a, a cut up high on the inside of his back leg and so his tail was full of blood and his and his legs were covered in blood but actually he seemed okay um I looked around the Emma was, had nearly caught me up so um rather than try and get him to lead because the horses weren't that keen on being too close to each other so I'm not going to try leading him and have him get away from me so I waited till Emma got there. We managed to get her up on the horse. She was going to be a bit sore tomorrow. Trotted him up. He seemed okay. So we kept going and she vetted through all right. Unfortunately, at the end of the next loop, um, he'd stiffened up and he was out. So that was a shame. So back to the end of the first loop, we had we had like 
probably about a three-hour hold. Having never done this before, hadn't re- I hadn't really got into the mentality of what it meant to be doing a marathon ride. The fact that you actually don't have to rush. You can actually just relax and do things for yourself, do things for your horse, take your time. Hadn't done that before, was still kind of in 40-minute hold mentality. So anyway, I was rushing about the place. I took time to put the ice boots on um, because I thought Shiloh probably hadn't had ice boots on his back legs before. So I was very careful putting the boots on and that was okay. Went back, organising food for myself, came back, got to put cold water down the ice boots, keep them cold, keep them cold, rushing about the place and... I forgot that he'd never had them on before. I simply didn't think about it, and I was operating as if he was just one of my horses. So I had my jug of ice water, and I was pouring it down the front boots, pouring a little bit down, keeping his tendons nice and cold, round to the back legs, doing the same. Bang! He kicks me. Got me on the left side of my face. Um, I'm staggering back. Wow, it really hurt. And then somebody comes from the the next truck, are you okay, are you okay? No. (laughs) I thought about saying yes, but I'm like, no, this really hurts. No, I'm not okay. So they sat me down and and we we had ice right there, so I put ice on it straight away. And I'm pretty shaky. People are coming around, you know, how are you, how are you? I'm a bit sore. What do you want to do? I want to finish the ride. I want to get my buckle. Because I haven't got a distance riding New Zealand buckle yet. If you remember, I was concentrating on taking him to the 160 at the North Island Champs, which is an ESNZ ride, not a DRNZ ride. And he'd got injured, so I hadn't done either of them. So I'd missed the 160. I'd missed getting a buckle, a DRNZ buckle in January. I wanted my DRNZ buckle. I wanted my marathon buckle. A friend was there. She was she was holding me, reminding me to breathe um, because, you know, you start that... <laughs> gasping breath breathing you're not because you're in pain and you're you're anxious you're upset so it was decided that I should be taken to hospital um bundled into a car taken and actually it was only Taumanui hospital was only 10 to 15 minutes away so got there only a small hospital but only a small town so didn't have to wait too long still had my a, a bottle of ice with me keeping it cold my whole cheek was sort of numb and because the nerves had obviously been bashed and that, that was numb anyway but I was still icing it, and the doctor examined me, and he poked and prodded, and I said, ouch, a few times, but possibly I wasn't reacting as much as he thought I should if it was broken, because he decided it wasn't broken. You can have an x-ray if you like, but why would you if it's not broken, was his opinion. So I didn't have an x-ray. I didn't ask him if it was okay to ride. He didn't ask, so I was good to go. (laughs) So we got back. And that's the joy of a marathon. I'd been to hospital, been examined, come back, and I still had time to get on my horse and go ride um, that afternoon loop. Ashley had waited for me because it was her horse and she was feeling bad that he'd kicked me and wanted to know how I was. Some other people helped saddle him up. We discovered that his girth was quite sore um, from the morning's ride. 50 kilometres is a long way, and it had been a tough ride. It's quite tough terrain. It had taken us a long time. And it was then that Ashley said, oh, I always ride him in a sheepskin. It's like, "Eh, okay, didn't know that. So she went and fetched a sheepskin cover. We put that on him. Away we go. We were quite late um, 
about 20 minutes behind the other riders. It was much flatter, easier loop for the afternoon and we caught them up. At that point we thought, well, we've probably been going a little quickly so we just backed off a little bit. Um, but by the end of the first day, uh, we were about... Where's my bit of paper? I've written it down. At the end of the first day, I was five minutes ahead of Ashley and Ashley was 20 minutes ahead of the next rider. So... We had a lead. How did that happen? By going out after the other riders and catching them up. That easy. So the next day, again, start time was five o'clock. But now, again, you could choose when you went out. I thought I was um, had arranged to ride with Ashley, so I was saddling up. I wasn't particularly in a hurry. I'd got into this more relaxed mode. and But I couldn't see Ashley anywhere. And after I sort of established the fact that she'd probably actually gone off without me, um, I was the last one starting. Quickly seemed to catch up with most of the other riders. Um, someone had made a bit of a course error in the dark and the others weren't going quickly. I rode for a little while with um, the Burkitts. That's the mother and children that you saw on the TV coverage just the other day. There are actually three daughters. One of the daughter's horse was lame the other day, so only two of them got to ride. But when you're riding with a group of four and you're not actually part of that group, it's quite hard because you can't actually ride how you want to ride your horse. You end up doing what, what they want to do. And it wasn't suiting Shiloh and I, so I made an effort to get ahead of them and then I could just ride them how he felt he wanted to be ridden without trying to fit in with anyone else. So we basically didn't see anybody else for the rest of that loop, did the whole loop on our own, never saw Ashley. I was beginning to start wondering if I'd made a, a course error. Maybe I'd gone wrong. Um, but occasionally I'd see hoofprints by a trough. So I thought, oh, well, there's somebody. She's ahead of me still. And so by the end of um, that loop, um, Ashley had done it in four hours. Shiloh and I had done it in four and a quarter. Everyone else had taken over five hours. That's the thing on a, on a big loop when there aren't many riders on track, I think there were 11 horses in the event altogether, and you don't see anybody, you've got no idea how everyone else is travelling. So until you get to the end of that loop, you really don't know where the others are and what's happening. So by the end of that first loop on the second day, I was six minutes ahead of Ashley, and we were 50 minutes ahead of the rest of the group. Um, which had never been on my, my plan. I mean, he was only a young horse. I hadn't intended to win. I intended just to get a buckle. And suddenly here I was in the lead. And it actually made me uncomfortable. I didn't really want to be in the lead because it starts putting pressure on. And I'm very competitive. So part of you kind of wants to stay there. And the other part of you saying, I just want to get a buckle. It's not my intention. So it was a bit confusing. The afternoon loop, Ashley and I just rode it together. And so we ended up at the end of that second day about an hour ahead of, the, ahead of the rest of the field. Third day, again, I think we pretty much all started together the third morning. It was the last day, you know, we'd been having a marvellous time. Everybody at camp was just so enjoying themselves. There were other rides. There was a 20-kilometre-a-day ride. There was a 40-kilometre-a-day ride. So there were lots of other people out on course. Everyone was having a really great time with a sort of holiday atmosphere in the camp. And then there were also team rides where you could just do one loop and your other team members would do the other loop. So it was great. And so we all set off from the, the last day together. We all did the first loop about the same time and about four hours, 45 minutes 
give or take. I think we were all within about five minutes ride time for that loop. The last loop, again, afternoon loops, easier course, and we were doing a 20-kilometre loop twice. We all were riding together for the first 20Ks, or at least a lot of us. I think there might have been a couple that were a bit behind, but not by much. And so we come into base at the end of the first 20 kilometres and everybody's out there and they're cheering and clapping and the horses are like, what the hell? And they were all got adrenaline going and we turned the corner and went away from base and they were all looking and feeling like champions. But a bit later, one of the horses was getting a bit tired. It was one of Ashley's other horses that her son was riding. And so we slowed down to let that horse have a break. In the first 20 kilometres, the horse that was actually probably an hour, 20 minutes behind us, Theo on Karamea Crusader, he was looking fantastic. You know, he just looked the best of any of the other horses. And at one point, Theo had gone on and opened a few gates for us. And I thought, oh, there he goes. He's going he's gonna to go. Um, I'd just been saying to him, you know, your horse is looking amazing. I thought he was only an hour behind us. I said, you've just got to do a three-hour 40Ks and you've got it. But he, 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 he waited for us and we were trucking around together and I thought, oh, for a moment there I thought he was going to take us up on it, but he didn't, so that was good. But on the second loop when we were doing all this walking for the tired horse, Theo was off. You know, his horse was looking a million dollars, so he, he took off. After, after um, a good half hour or so of walking, um, we got back into trotting and we cruised home all together. But the question was, Theo had been in for like ages. In fact, he had, we finished in four hours. He had done it in just over three hours. So the question was, you know, is that going to be enough? Had he, is he going to win? And everyone was on tender hooks to see, you know, what exactly our final times were. And at that point, we didn't know either because I hadn't realised that he, in fact, was an hour 20 behind, not just an hour like the ones that I knew we were an hour, that Ashley and I were about an hour ahead, but I didn't realise that he was a bit behind that. So Shiloh and I won it. Ashley was second, only a couple of minutes ahead of Theo and Karamea Crusader. But rightly so, with that horse looking so amazing, he won the best managed award at the end of the day. So there I was. Turns out my cheek was not only broken, but it was pretty well smashed. I'd just ridden 240 kilometres, um, 190 of that with a broken cheek, and I won. Not only got my buckle, but I won this huge gold cup, so I get to have my name on it first. What a thrill. Um, just an amazing event. Really looking forward to it coming around again this season. Of course, you, got, you guessed it, I'm back in the same boat. I don't actually have a horse to ride in that event as yet, so who knows what's going to happen there. For the last two uh, big rides, because, yep, I've got no horse to ride, so I have been riding for Braden. Braden has bought quite a few of Ashley's horses, so he, in fact, owns Shiloh now, as well as Cruz, and he's got a whole lot of others that he's bringing on. So he's, he's quite the trainer now. He's, he's really stepped it up. He's got himself a whole lot of gear, and he's really going for it and doing very well, and so for the 160 this year, no, sorry, for the for the 120, which Tigger and I had got second in the previous year in December, this year I rode one of Braden's horses, um, Chaffel, beautiful little mare, it was her first 120 ride that she'd ever done, in fact it was only her second ride of the season, prior to that she'd only done a 40 kilometre ride, 
And prior to that, she'd had last season off. So it's a testament to Braden's training that not only did she complete the 120 well, actually ended up second, and um, Shiloh ended up winning it. It was his first 120 as well, with an Australian rider, Ben, riding him, and he got best managed. So that was a thrill. I was really sore after that ride. There's nothing quite like riding 120 kilometres in somebody else's saddle, particularly when it's a very different style of saddle. Never mind, you know, it's what we do, isn't it? And then for the 160 in January, I'd hoped to be on Chaffelle again because I really liked her, but Chaffelle was doing the 160 with another Australian rider. Ben was going to be on Crusader, the one who'd won the, who'd won the best managed in the marathon in the 160. So I got to ride my friend Shiloh in the 120. It was a great ride. There were only four entered in it, the big big event being the 160. There were only four in the 120. One was a junior, so we weren't competing against him. One had elected not to weigh up to the 70 kilograms, so she was riding catch weight, so as a non-competitor. So there was just me and Enriquez. We were both on Braden's horses, and so it wasn't really a competition. It was about looking after your horse getting around in a reasonable time. Enriquez's horse was doing its first 120, so we weren't in a big hurry. In fact, I think Shiloh was the only one who had done a 120 previously. Um, the junior, it was his and his pony's first 120. The other adult who was riding catchweight, it was her pony's first 120. So there was Shiloh. He'd done one before. He was the most experienced, but it had only been a month before. And so we just went around looking after our horses, all starting out together for each loop, having a great time. And we actually crossed the line, came down the, down the, the last 100 metres or so, making sure we were all lined up and getting a joint first equal, which was a great thrill and we just thoroughly enjoyed the day. So, yeah, here's to getting a ride for the Makahiwi Challenge this year. Catch you later. Hi there, Daryl again from New Zealand. Just a quick update on our season. I've mentioned before that I've been taught to do a season plan each year. When the ride calendar is released, I identify my goals for the season and select our pinnacle ride for the season and then work backwards to work out what needs to happen to achieve those goals. Things happen along the way that mean I, I need, might need to readjust things, but there are always layers involved in my goals. This year, my goals have been to get each of our team horses to specific distance markers. For Salty, we were trying to get to, to 5,000 kilometres, Scratch to his 4,000 kilometres, Bonnie to 3,000 and the two young ones to 2,000. Salty and I have one more season after this to achieve decade team and to qualify for that we needed to have done at least 100 kilometres together during the season. Scratch has a couple more years to do for that but I still needed to get a couple of rides on him myself. That's been a little more challenging to work out because we've had a novice junior on him for most of the season so trying to claim him back for myself has been a bit more tricky. Always, always, always my first goal for the season is obviously to get a 100% completion rate. Sometimes I've managed that and it only takes one rock to stuff it up, so I don't let myself get too hung up on that goal. 
Other goals this season have been to make it possible for my teammates to ride more often than they act as officials and to get our two foreign novice juniors through the novice system. The season started out pretty well and everything was on track to achieve what I'd set down on paper. There were a few rides our juniors couldn't come to which made it more difficult to get them through a novice qualifying system. Then Salty had an unfortunate account encounter with a rock that got stuck in his shoe and he ended up being lame and missing a couple of rides. That inevitably meant that we ran out of opportunities for Edu to do his 80km rides before he had to go back to Brazil. Never mind, he really enjoyed the rides he did get to do and saw bits of our country that he would never have seen otherwise. For Salty as well, that's put my main goal for him beyond what we can achieve this year. Assuming the rest of the season goes according to plan, he will fall short by about 200 kilometres of um, reaching 5,000 kilometres. Never mind, we'll get there next season instead. Scratch, unfortunately, also had an unfortunate encounter with a rock at the last ride of 2018, which put him out for the next couple of rides. All going well, he should still reach his goal, though, and hopefully we'll also get Vera through novice before the end of the season. She will be flying home to the Netherlands before the next season starts, so we'll do what we can this season for her. The 3,000km target for Bonnie was always an ambitious one. We'll just miss out that one as well, but there's always next season, and I think the younger horses will reach theirs. For the last two years, I've won the trophy for senior distance rider. I don't think I'll get anywhere near it this year. I've given away too many rides, but it doesn't matter. That was always going to be the case and was never one of my goals for this year. This year has been all about the team. We've been to some amazing rides this year. Last weekend, we went to a, a ride at a new venue. It was a really tough track, big hills and lots of them. We took three horses and had yet another guest rider from another club. He rode Salty and had a really good ride. Salty's a bit special. I've said before on here that Salty doesn't have exactly classic confirmation. No one looking at an endurance prospect would look twice at him. He's a stayer, but he's, there's just something about him. Everyone I've put on him has enjoyed it. I was really pleased with the performance of all three horses last weekend. I was told a long time ago that each loop should, be, should ideally be faster than the previous one, so not using all your energy in the first phase. We managed that this time. Lag times, recovery times were predictably, predictably longer as the day heated up and the speed increased, and they got more tired. But we only have one more ride before nationals, which is a little flatter and faster track. So the ride last weekend was a great build-up. Someone else once told me, Gabrielle actually, that if you want a 100-mile horse, you don't go out to win the little ones. So on my season plan, as I was taught, all rides leading up to our pinnacle event are training. Any placings along the way are incidental. So last weekend was a training run. It was consistent and measured mileage and gave us a really good indication of where we're at with regards to fitness. In the last few years, I've started to keep all of our ride records on Excel spreadsheets and I have charts that, that graph loop speeds, overall ride speeds and lag times. I also keep a running total of distances achieved for both horses and riders. For myself, I find it's really helpful to work out what I need to do next. Ideally, what I want to see is speeds increasing and heart rates coming down, or at least lag times decreasing. Lots of variables in there with difficulty of ride, heat, distance, probably how I've been feeling on the day as well. The most important thing I know is to just get on and ride. If I did no planning and no tracking of achievements, I would still have fun riding endurance, but having a plan and making goals just gives me that extra dimension. So, as I said, we have one more ride coming up in two weeks' time, and then four weeks after that, we have our nationals coming up. All going well. Um, I'm almost reluctant to, to say it out loud. 
all going well. We should have, we're aiming to have five horses lining up at the beginning of the 160 kilometre ride. The three of us on our team and two, uh, two guest riders, one Australian, Camille coming back, and Jenny Chandler riding Salty. So that'll be fun for her. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll try to do an update again uh, next month. Otherwise, the next update will be after nationals. So wish us luck. Um, hopefully we get all five off the start line at the very least and we'll work out what happens after that. More next time. Hi there, my name is Caitlin Winkles. Um, I'm from Kirkston, Minnesota. Um, if you're not familiar with the place, that's well, we're kind of an hour and a half south of Canada and about a half hour east of North Dakota. It's right up in the corner there. The weather has been miserable until recently. Um, we just had a horrible blizzard with ice and more snow. But hopefully it's going to stay in the 30s and above from now on, at least during the day. So hopefully we'll get some snow melted and we can actually start doing some riding. Um, this is actually going to be my first year doing endurance. Um, my horse's name is Festus. He's in Appaloosa. Uh, he is nine this year. I actually started him as a long two-year-old in my university's colt starting program, and I told his owner at that time that, um, he was a fantastic horse, I mean, you could get on him and do anything, and he'd just, you point him and he'd go. Um, and I always stayed friends with his owner, and I told her if, you know, she ever wanted to sell him that, she needed to let me know. And, uh, last summer I had an opportunity to, I was looking for a new horse, and, um, she messaged me and made me a deal I couldn't say no to, so I was happy to bring the little dude home. Um, he's, like, maybe 14 two-hands and just a big, stocky, ranch-bred, um, Appaloosa, and, so I'm hoping he'll he'll power me through for my first season and hopefully the first couple of years here and till my baby horse, um, who I refer to as baby horse, um, he's a two-year-old Appaloosa gelding that I'm hoping will be my long-term endurance horse. Um, I mean, maybe Festus will love it. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how everything goes. So, but baby horse, I'm hoping will be my my long-term dude. So, um, how did I get into horses? Um, I started riding lessons when I was 11, um, did those, you know, like the once a week thing for a couple of years and we moved and went to high school and didn't have a ride out to the barn anymore, unfortunately, so it stopped. And then, um, I decided, you know, I'll go to college and my second year I decided to transfer out to Kirkston and they had an equine science major, and I said, well, why not? And so I ended up doing the equine science program out there. I did the equestrian team, Hunt Seat and Western. I've done reining and saddle seat and a whole bunch of different things. And honestly, I really hadn't even heard about endurance riding before. And I graduated. I stayed in the area, um, did a couple of the, lots of the local English riding horse shows and stuff like that. And one of my friends from there, Sarah, had um, 
posted that she had done an endurance ride and she posted pictures and I was like, what is this? This looks awesome. And she said, uh, and she explained the sport and I mean, I immediately was intrigued and I thought it was going to be great and interesting. Um, my horse at the time was only three years old, so he couldn't compete. Um, so we learned a lot about it, read a lot about it, and decided, oh yeah, this is totally something I want to do. And then his four-year-old year, we planned on doing some competing, but you know, financial constraints came up and it just didn't happen. So um, had to wait that year, and then I ended up selling them the next year just because, well, I liked them. We just it just wasn't my fit long term. So. Um, then I just had very young horses for the longest time, you know, baby horse included. And so it wasn't until this last summer I got Festus. Well, I was pregnant with our first kid last summer. <laughs> so um, could only do very limited riding. So I had my son in December and just kind of getting back into things now and waiting for the snow to melt, but hopefully to get this year done. and really experience my first ride, so I'm really looking forward to that, and, um, yeah, so I thought I'd just share what I'm doing, and, uh, it'll be fun to kind of put it in this perspective of work-life balance, and trying to balance, you know, doing a full-time job, and having a new son, and being new to endurance, and trying to fit it all in, so, um, hope that, be a fun and interesting story and I look forward to meeting everybody in the upcoming months. Alright, thanks. Hi, my name's Bridget Brown and I live in North Yorkshire in England. We live on a hill farm in the middle of the North Yorkshire moors. My daughter and I I've been involved with endurance for quite some time. Nikki, since she was uh, eight years old, she's now 23, and me, I first started doing endurance about 31 years ago. Between us, we have 10 horses from a three-month-old colt fall to my oldest boy, who is a 15-year-old trotter Appaloosa called Murphy. I've competed on him for quite a few years, he won the National Novice Championship. He's been on the English squad three times and he's done quite a lot, really. My other horse is uh, Zef. He's an Arab Appaloosa, 12 years old, and uh, this is the year that I'm hoping to do uh, a bit with him. I've always wanted horses and um, ponies when we were kids and Dad wasn't having any of it because we lived on a hill farm and ponies didn't fit in. So um, I learnt to ride on a cow, it was a very nice cow, and one day my auntie, uh, Jane Gardham, she's an author, she came up and saw me riding the cow and was horrified, and um, young ladies don't ride cows. Um, so she sent us £100 to buy a pony, and... Um, it went from there. Uh, I first heard about endurance riding when I was in my early 20s, but uh, didn't really start doing anything until I was, well, it was 1978 when I had my own transport. And since then, I've uh, done as much as I can. We're very lucky on our farm because the house, the yard itself, is uh, 800 foot and the hill behind goes up to 1,000, and the river at the bottom is 600 feet. So even just a little walk around 
the horses are getting a good bit of work. Once once they're fit, we don't really do that much with them. We don't overstretch them. At the moment, we're just nicely getting going. Uh, we've had some fairly lousy weather with a lot of sleet and snow and um, just pretty awful winter weather, really. My two boys, Zeph and Murphy, are just coming up to their first 40k ride, which is at the weekend. That's on fairly flat ground, so I'm hoping that it goes well. Usually they find it quite easy because they've been working on the hills and they're going down onto flat. At the moment, we've had some a couple of really nice rides in. It's about 15 miles last week, up and down quite a lot of hills, and after about 10 miles, the, the boys went up a gear. So they're fit, they're ready to go. My friend Irene is riding Murphy for me this year so that I can uh, concentrate on Zeph, who's been a bit of a problem, problematic child. Uh, when we first got him, he was 18 months old and um, he used to faint. Anything that upset him or hurt him or frightened him. He has grown out of that. He hasn't fainted for about six years now, but um, he certainly has his moments and um, it took, he's, he's 13 this year, and it took uh, until last year before I could actually ride him on his own. So um, I'm pleased. He is, he is an advanced endurance horse. He has done uh, up to 80Ks, and um, he has done a couple of endurance races. But he never really puts his heart into it too much. Uh, that's why he gets good heart rates, he just tootles on. However, this year he's, he's a completely different boy, so I'm, I'm hoping that things are going to go a bit better. Irene is riding Murph. She lost her horse, sadly, last year, and um, she's taken up the ride on him. But they, they, they're doing very well together, so I'm, I'm pleased. I think the goals for this season, at the moment, we just want to see how we get going. Hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get quite a few longer distances. My daughter is um, currently, at the moment, uh, got two of her mares ready for 40k at the weekend. Both mares are 100 mile horses. They both did the Cairngorm 100 two years ago. Um, and hopefully, after they've done a few rides, we will be putting them in fall to our um, Arab stallion. Hopefully, we'll, we'll have a, a fall next year. And Nikki's wanting to start to do a little bit more with our stallion, Sandy. Um, we Hopefully we are going to do the Mary Towler loop, which is um, a 50, no, a 48 mile loop in the um, Peak District. So that'll be a nice holiday for us. We're doing it over three days. So that'll be a nice holiday for us. Um, I wish you luck, everybody who might be listening to this and hope that um, Everything goes well for you. Might get better at this as we go along. <laughs>
So the best thing that we did was we tied Coda to a tree and then had one of our other horses that we led past Coda, just still within sight, just a little bit past him. And then we started going further and further from him. And then um, the horse went even further away from him and the house was between him and his pal and he couldn't even see his friend. And uh, he learned to not be too worried about it. He didn't get too upset. The first, very first time that we tied him and started leading the horse away, he, you know, pulled back and was a little bit silly, but that really didn't last long. Um, so he did very well with that. And then we started getting on the other horse and running, you know, just a little ways away and then continuing until we were running where the house was between him and the friend and he couldn't see the friend. But then he he learned, Coda learned, that if he just waited just a second, the friend was going to come back into view and come back to him. And that's exactly what we want them to learn because that's what happens on the trail. And one of the neat things I think about riding tie is that you're almost asking the horse to do something that's not within its instincts. Tying a horse to a tree and leaving it in the wilderness is really kind of like setting it out as bait. You know, a prey animal can't like that. But when they have been trained that sooner or later, hopefully sooner, one of your partners is going to come by and get you, then it's amazing how easy they learn, how quickly they learn. After we had done the, the yard training with Coda, uh, I guess it was another week or so, Carrie Barris, my uh, ride type partner and I, took Coda out to a trail. And we rode him up the trail a little bit. One of us did, one of us ran. I think Carrie maybe rode to begin with, and she tied Coda to the tree and then waited for me to catch them. And then she ran off and I stood there next to Coda for a little bit. And then I got on him and rode to, to Carrie and we switched again and did that two or three times. And then at one point I tied Coda to a tree and then I walked just out of distance, out of sight. And so now he's got nobody with him. It's the first time he's been on the trail all by himself. And he started hollering a little bit went in and hollering, and I could barely see him. I didn't want him to see me, but I could just kind of barely see him from where I was, and I could tell that he wasn't thrashing around too much, so I just let him win and, and holler a little bit, and then I came back and got him, and after that, he just had, had it figured out, and we ran through the, the rest of that day with just no problem, and I don't know, we probably just went maybe maybe three or four miles, if that, uh, but he had it, and, and he's had it ever since, and I think I've mentioned before on this podcast they get to where they just almost love to be tied. And sometimes you'll be trotting along and the horse will decide, I'm ready to stop and just kind of nose over to a tree, like tie me here to this tree. And I mean, every once in a while, I'll let them do it. I'll let them pick out their tree. And usually when you tie them, uh, it doesn't take long for one of those feet, back feet comes up, just cocks up so that they are just completely relaxed. Now, lots of times on the trail when I'm running away, Coda will give me one little whinny or one little scream, and, and sometimes I realize he's actually hollering at the other horses, but I always turn around and yell back at him, I love you too, and then I turn back around and, and keep running. Another horse we trained was Cocapelli, and we were a little worried that that might be a little more difficult. Uh, we had had a, a, some tough times trying to train him in South Carolina. He didn't do real well uh, being tied to a tree and left by himself in the woods. And yet we really needed him once we moved to Tennessee. Cruz, who had been our main riding tie horse, was developing some lameness issues, the back uh, pain issues. And we really needed Cocopelli to kind of step up to be our number one horse for a while. And so Lee and I took him out to some woods. We took Coda 
with us and just as as easily as we could eased him into it we would tie him to a tree and whoever i think was lee initially would walk away and i would just stand just stay there i was mounted on coda and stay there and then i might take coda just a few yards down the trail and then come back and we just did it as easy as we could and then finally we worked up to where lee rode coda out of sight and then i ran to just out of sight and was just not at all sure what kind of shape he's going to be in when I got back but I, I turned around didn't didn't leave him out that long came back and he was standing to, at the tree with his foot cocked I remember I pulled out my phone and recorded a little bit of it on video because I just couldn't believe how great he was doing and he's done fine ever since you know once they get it in their head somebody's coming to get me you know they really really are fine hi my name is Carrie Tooley I've been riding endurance since 2012. I live in Temecula, California, and have two Arabian horses, Magnum and Copper. I have just recently completed the 20 Meal Team 65 and wanted to share my experiences with you. This ride was held on February 23rd in Ridgecrest, California at the Desert Empire Fairgrounds. This site has been selected for the 2019 AERC National Championship ride at the end of October, so many people wanted to pre-ride it. I saw a lot of top Tevis winners doing the 100. I wanted to do the 100, but weeks before, Temecula, where I live, got pounded with rain and Magnum came up lame, so I decided to sign up Copper for his first 65 miler. I've had this horse for a little over a year now and I wasn't sure if he could remain calm enough to complete this hard ride. My truck was not hooked up to my trailer. In order to get it out, I had to use four-wheel drive for the first time. Then, when my husband tried to attach the trailer, it was too low and had to be jacked up to fit the truck under it because it had sunk in the mud. Finally on the road, it took five hours to arrive at ride camp. This facility is great. They have hose spigots, bathrooms with hot showers, and a couple of arenas to turn out the horses. The pre-vetting of the horses was done on a large grassy field. I always try to do a short ride to check on my tack and see a little of the trail. So my girlfriends and I headed out. Only one incident. The horses spooked from a barking dog behind a fence. We all stayed on. All is good. Now time to prepare my crew bags. Not that I have a crew. Maybe someday. There were three out vet checks on the 65. So I made up my bags and put a lunch in the vet check two one. This was the 40th anniversary of the 20 meal team ride. So at the ride meeting, they had two large cakes. Yum. After the meeting, I double blanketed copper because it was pretty cold and was off to bed. Saturday morning, up at four to feed copper his warm mash. The hundreds and the 65s started together at 6. It was a controlled start, so all went well for most. I didn't see it 
but heard a Mustang, won't mention any names, decided to throw off not just one rider, but also the owner during the start. Hope they've all recovered from that. It was 17 miles to vet check one, but after 10, my girlfriend's horse, which I had been following to keep copper controlled, was off, so I went on without her. Come to find out, she got off and walked her horse seven more miles and pulled at vet check one. Wow. Copper actually prefers to ride alone, but tends to go faster than he should. We came into vet check one fine, vetted right through, and stayed our 15 minutes. When we left, we rode alone for probably 10 miles. Between vet check one and two, I would say is some of the most technical parts of this ride. You will climb up and down very steep, rocky hills. We were passed by a white Arabian that was doing the hundred and followed them. I liked her speed. It was about seven and a half miles per hour and we came in to vet check two together at 32 miles where they were having the one hour lunch hold. The horses ate well and we vetted good. Her crew lady loaned me a vest because I had left my jacket back at vet check one. Didn't think I'd need it. Now I like vests. My arms get hot while riding, but I still need a little something to keep me warm. Half of the ride done, on to vet check three. Long, long, long uphill climb. Walked all of it, giving many snacks to copper that I carried on my saddle. Back to trotting. We come to a water spot where a volunteer was taking numbers. They had wet alfalfa in one of the water troughs and the horses loved it. Well, surprise, surprise, here comes the Mustang from this morning's incident and there they go. We leave and can see the vet check three for miles, but keep the same pace. Finally, we arrive 55 miles and stay for a whopping 15 minutes, just enough time to use the porta potty and vet through. 10 miles remaining for me. A couple of riders are flying by at this point, still hiding with copper behind the white Arabian mare. She's more experienced. We continue on at our same pace and pick up another 100 miler that is relieved because she doesn't want to ride the last 35 miles alone in the dark. Came into the finish around 530 in 11th place. The finish line is about a mile outside of camp. So after finishing, we walked to the vetting area and untacked for our completion check. When they took Copper's pulse, it was 90 and I realized it was the PA system announcing the 35 mile awards. Sounds like a horse show to Copper. So I asked a couple of my girlfriends to bring their horses alongside of Copper and his pulse came down to 60 and we completed, yay. 
After taking care of Copper, I had a wonderful Mexican dinner provided by ride management and cake. Showered and took Copper for a walk. I wanted to stay up to see the hundreds finish, but was too tired and went to bed. Sunday morning at 7.30, they did the best condition showing for the top 10 hundreds, and the award ceremony was at 9. I highly recommend this ride. Ride management is wonderful. This ride is beautiful and very challenging. Bring a fit horse and don't ride too fast. Check out all the pulls in the hundred. Hope to see you at the National Championship Ride this year. Carrie Tooley and Copper. Well, the other thing, of course, about training is not just training the horse how to uh, tie, but they're, they're, they have to be in shape to do ride and tie, just like a, an endurance horse has to be in shape to, to do ride and tie. But the runner, the partners, the humans have to be in shape too. And of course, you have to be in shape uh, to, to do endurance as well, but it's a different kind of shape when you're trying to do ride and tie. And so one of the things that Lee and I often do is she will take the horse that we're going to use and she will ride the horse uh, because she doesn't actually do uh, ride and tie. She does, she's not a runner, but she'll ride and I'll run, but we'll go out and do it together. And she's going to talk a little bit about what that's like first. It's always interesting when uh, you ride a horse and uh, you've got a runner in front of you and the horse knows that that is his runner. And so usually the runner, uh, when we do this, Courtney gets out ahead of me because um, he leaves out while I'm still tacking up. And uh, then we go down and, you know, we go chase him, go find him. And as soon as the horse catches sight of Courtney, uh, you know, the ears go forward and the whole attitude is, oh, let's go chase him. Let's catch him. And it's just like when you're on the trail and your horse cues in on the horses that are in front of them. And all of a sudden, they have more motivation, more energy, and they want to go and catch that horse. And it's almost like uh, that human partner becomes that horse's leader and buddy and part of his herd, and he wants to go catch them. And that's always a lot of fun um, when you're on the horse and you come around a corner and he sees his human partner, and suddenly he's motivated and he wants to move and go. So I enjoy that part of it a lot. And, of course, I think that's good for the horse. The idea of training is you want to push yourself just a little bit harder than you did the last time, so you're going to get a little bit stronger. And so that's good for the horse. That also is the way I motivate myself, is when we get to the trailhead, and we are very fortunate to live just about 15 or so miles from the Cherokee National Forest, and we get to the trailhead, and uh, Lee is beginning to tack up the horse, and then I'll kind of get myself ready, and then I'll take off. And I'll say, yeah, y'all come catch me. And I try to see, can I get to the five-mile mark? And we have a, a route, we call it our winter loop that we run in the winter, and then we have a summer loop that crosses a river that we use in the summertime. But if we're running the winter loop, I try to get to the five-mile mark before they catch me. So I'm being pushed just by, by imagining that there is a horse cantering somewhere back down there behind me, kind of catching up to me at, at, at speed. Uh, and that's good for, for me as well. Another interesting thing about the way we train is, and this has been true both in Tennessee and we lived in South Carolina, a whole lot more of the horse community in our area know who we are than we know who they are because it's so odd to see 
a, a person running and a person riding, but them doing it together. And so people will see us out and say, oh, yeah, we remember you. You're those crazy people that ride and run and, and whatnot. But when you just see a person on a horse, on a horse trail, it's not necessarily going to be somebody that you remember the next time you see them. So it's kind of funny that we're, we're kind of, uh, I wouldn't say famous, but more people know us than, than we know them. And Lee is now going to tell a story about when she decided to train two horses at the same time. Okay, I, uh, as Courtney said, I'm not a runner, uh, and I don't even try to be, but I'm good crew, and I do try to do um, some of the conditioning of horses at home, and so I thought I was going to be real smart and condition two horses at once, because if you're trying to keep a couple of them in shape at, at the same time, that, that's, that's difficult to do. So I took one, I took two of them out, and I rode one, and I ponied the other, and we went and did, I don't know, maybe nine miles that day. And we had gone to the Cherokee National Forest, <clears throat> and I was all by myself. And it was during the week, so there wasn't anybody else out there either. And um, came back to the trailer, and I had my favorite, wonderful, trustworthy boy with me named Cruz. And then I had Cocapelli with me. So I got back to the trailer, and I'm untacking the horses, and I had uh, tied Cocapelli. And I'm sorry, I think I may have had Coda with me. But anyway, I had another horse with me and Cruz. So I tied the other horse. And I had Cruz, and I was just was letting him eat a little bit of green grass while I walked to the back of the trailer to put something in the tack room. And I looked up, and Cruz locked eyes with me. And then he walked a few paces, and he kept his eye on me. And then he walked a few more paces, and he took off going, running. And the other horse, I guess, was not tied either. Anyway. The other horse took off with him, and off they went, up the road, away from me, although they had already just done nine miles. And here they go, running away from me. And as I said, I am not an in-shape runner. But what are you going to do? You have to go chase your horses. So here I go, walking up the road, trying to catch some horses. I get to about the mile mark, and at that point, there is a turn off the road. And I thought, well, I don't know which way they went. And I couldn't tell by the hoof prints because we had ridden that day. And a lot of other people ride out there, too. So you can't tell by the hoof prints which way your horse just went. So I chose one direction, and I kept walking. And I probably walked about a mile and a half, maybe mile and three quarters, and finally said to myself, this is not working. I'm not going to ever catch up with these horses if I haven't caught them by now. They probably didn't go this direction. I'm not going to catch them. So I turned around and walked back to my truck and trailer. Of course, by this time, you know, I had walked somewhere between three, three and a half miles or so. And the horses had been out gallivanting, having a lot of fun for probably an hour or more by this point in time. And my only choice was to unhitch the truck from the trailer, get in the truck and go hunt the horses, which I did. I found them probably five minutes later and they had just gone the other direction at the turn from the direction that I chose, and they were standing in the middle of the road just waiting for me to come get them. So I did. They had their halters and their lead ropes on them, and I ponied. Let's see, what did I do? I guess I had two lead ropes in my hand, but one was a lot longer than the other, and I drove the truck back, loaded those boogers. There wasn't any way I was letting them eat any more grass. I loaded them up and rehitched and came home. But I was not happy with having had to do that that day. And if I'd only had one horse with me, that probably wouldn't have happened. 
So I have not tried to train two at a time since then. Hi everyone, it's Crystal from Minnesota again. I uh, thought of another story and it was, it's kind of a two-part story. Uh, the first part happened in the first two years of riding my quarter horse in endurance um, where we had a lot of pulls and a lot of just complications, um, just things that went wrong that led to just, uh, just poor completion rates. So frustrating and just got really down and out. And this happened around, I think it was either run for the cactus or run for the ridge. And um, I had just been pulled. He had pulled uh, another shoe and ended up being pulled for lameness. And I was just so frustrated and down and out and just wanted to quit and just really got I don't know. You just, you, I got to that really dark place and they had a volunteer opportunity uh, up there where the DNR wanted uh, them to pick some of the prairie seeds so that they can replant them and that would help uh, pay for the ride venue. And they would deduct the cost that they had to pay for the ride venue. So I went out there and I started. I went out there and just started trying to pick the prairie. Well, it's actually kind of, I don't know if you want to say cathartic. You're just out there. The beauty of nature is around you. You're watching every single rider go by because it's up by the timer's tent. And all the people you are riding with are smiling at you and encouraging you or saying, hey, good job, because you're out there volunteering and picking those seeds and you kind of feel down a little because everybody's you're watching them succeed and you feel like a failure because that's just how you feel whether you are or not you just kind of feel like you're a failure and so i just kept picking and picking and picking and it's not in i'm not in, in my nature to be a quitter but i may have been so down and out at the time i was just like i you know i was talking to a couple of people on and off throughout the season and can remember saying things like, I'm just not cut out for this endurance. I just can't succeed. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't think I'll ever get how to do this endurance. And just really, really down and out. And um, while I was picking those flowers, I again just kind of you just kind of reflect and all the nature around you and the beauty and, and whatever, it kind of lifted my mood a little bit. Um, and the timer, Mona came out and was helping me pick some and we just had a great time and I was able to encourage all the other riders that were going by. And that night we went to the awards and the potluck and um, I wasn't getting any awards, but my son and my friend, they had ridden. So um, was going to be there for them and they got through all the awards and they ended up doing some special awards and they gave me called my name for an award for volunteering that day and we got a halter and it was such a, a simple thing like I didn't do it because I wanted to get something out of it I did it because I thought it would help with the ride and it just made me feel appreciated 
Um, and it was kind of a success in a failure almost. Well, the second part of the story is happened this year in 2018 when we went to run for the Ridge. It was at a new venue somewhere we've never been before. And we did the 25 night LD and on that 25 night LD, we actually got second place and, um, BC and we were only a few minutes behind the first place and we didn't do anything faster. We didn't do anything, you know, we weren't out trying to be in the top 10. We just were out trying to finish the ride and enjoy the night ride. Um, but that it was just a, a huge thing. I didn't expect to get a placing and I didn't definitely didn't expect to get BC. Um, and so the following morning, I went out and did the 25 LD in the morning. So it was my first back-to-back -back LD. And I wrote it uh, with Jenny Freerix. And that is the girl I told about, I told a story about earlier. Um, and her and I completed that first LD, or the second LD together. Um, but Friday, the, the awards that we went to kind of covered both days. And... Um, I, they announced, you know, you got second place, you got BC, and then you get a completion award for your first back-to-back -back LD. And, um, I, I was excited. I mean, it was just kind of amazing to, you know, see that he and I had come so far. And when I was leaving the awards banquet, going back to my trailer, we, I had to go past, um, it's Bev Specht and Diane Mers where they were camping and they happened to stop and talk to me and say congratulations and give me a hug and, and, um, kind of make me feel better. And, and Bev was kind of, uh, telling me, so who I thought you couldn't do endurance. And, uh, who was that girl that said she would never be successful? And, um, it just really touched my heart that, they remembered everything I went through and the struggles and were, were able to give me such a kind word. Um, and so it's not really, it's, you know, it's not really something big, but to me it was a big deal. It, it really got me teary eyed and I was able to finally, I saw Diane at the Umecra banquet this year and I was actually able to relate how, how important, <laughs> what they said to me was at the time and I got teary eyed of course and I asked her to send that to Bev as well um and the backstory is Bev took us out on a couple of our um first novice rides and so I would talk to her off and on at different rides and the fact that after you know a couple years someone that just knows you from these rides can remember what you say or what you've done and, and give you encouraging words just really meant a lot. So I know I'm babbling. So until we meet again on our next adventure. Hi guys, it's been a while since I've updated. This is Kat from Marvel in Australia. The next ride after Maribara, so that was in March. The next ride was the Easter Carnival. And that had always been called the Faraway Easter Carnival and whereas, so this year, 2018, that was run out of the Sterling Crossing Grounds, traditionally that's always been held at Imbul Showgrounds. Um, 
So this ride was the very first ride in Vegas's logbook because I was on day cards for a while. Um, it was a 40k ride and uh, she vetted in with a heart rate of 29. That was one thing I was really excited about when she first vetted in. So she was really fit going into it. Um, and the first 20Ks of the ride, I always like to ride on my own. Anyway, I, <laughs> I like, I'm either with my team and that's good, but if I'm not with my team, I tend to just ride on my own and do my own thing. And again, it's the socially awkward thing. I make friends while I'm out there, but I don't go out with people usually. <laughs> like I know Adriana a lot. She tends to like, she will find other friends or other people that she even sort of remotely knows in the campground and have a plan to ride with people. Whereas I just kind of, I don't know, I think I just end up attached to whoever Vegas is run up the bum of. And that's kind of how we ride with people. But anyway, my point being there, so I was on my own for the first 20 Ks or so. We were making good time compared to, again, that Bingenden ride where I think I just about walked 40 kilometres and it was so almightily painful in every sense of the word. But yes, so this one, uh, Imble, still the same scenery as Sterling, so really pretty. It's like rainforest and creeks and lots of hills, things like that. So yeah, first 20Ks, great. We're making perfect good time. Um, And then I ran into this girl and we'd sort of not literally run into, sometimes I do literally run into people, but not that time. Um, yeah, so we had just sort of slowed down at the same time together and we were just having a bit of a wander. Um, and it was only going to be sort of, you know, for I don't know, maybe 100 metres or so. But then these trail bikes, because you share forestry with all sorts of people and types, these trail bikes started coming towards us and her horse flipped out Vegas flipped out like a little bit because her horse was flipping out. So I think she, Vegas kind of thought that maybe it was a done thing. But anyway, Vegas didn't throw me off, but her horse threw her off. Um, And so she was really quite shaken after that. And I was like, well, you know what? I don't have anywhere to be. It doesn't matter. Because I mean, at at that, I mean, I don't blame her because she hit the ground hard. Um, But yeah, at that initial sort of impact stage, she was very much like she wanted to pull out and she was worried and shaky and and whatnot. But I was like, that's fine. I'll just, I'll get off and we'll walk together for a bit. And then anyway, so point being, we kind of, we just walked for a little while and then we chilled out some more and eventually she got back on a horse and then we just kind of did it together slowly for the rest because it was her horse's, I think, first 40k maybe. And so, or... I don't know if it was the first 40k, but either way, he was a baby. He was very much the a baby horse and totally the opposite of Vegas in that I fight her to slow down constantly and she was just having to push him every step of the way. Not that there was anything wrong with him. He just didn't want to do it. He was just like, nah, I am done. Um, So that ride, it ended up being another six-hour 40k but not in a painful way, in a, in a nice way. Like we just kind of, we made a friend and it was, it was just nice. We, we finished it doing something good. And then I remember on the way back in, um, uh, this girl, well, we used to be friends. Anyway, not, not in my team, just a random, random sort of person or whatever. And, you know, as we're coming in six hours later, she calls out to me, she's like, Kat, you know, it's not a trail ride, right? You're supposed to actually do some speed, but... Anyway, didn't put me off because, 
yeah, like I said, it was it was a nice ride. We had a nice ride, and I wasn't unlike beginning where I was kind of um, maybe despondent, somewhere between despondent and just wanted to eat my own legs rather than have to use them again. Somewhere in the middle, it wasn't it wasn't that. It was a nice. I still felt fit. I felt good. Vegas felt great. Her heart rate coming in was thirty six. Um, she had one B in her logbook for leg injuries because. God, I can't win on leg injuries with Vegas, but I'm sure that'll come up in the next rides more. Um, yeah, and so that was Imble. Oh, the standout feature of that Imble. So again, my dad came with me on that one, and uh, it, it used to be packed. These days, we have this massive thing with Hendra vaccination, and it's so political, and it's really it's wrecking a lot of rides. So that um, the last couple of Imbul rides that I went to because they're in the middle of Queensland and vaccination only there was hardly anyone and it was not packed well this ride was before then and we were at the back of beyond and Victoria and Spence had chosen the camping space and it was literally you couldn't get further away from everything they had gone up and so you can tell that they're, they're people that think of the horses first as opposed to the people because they had gone up this hill to where the grass was the longest. So, like, you honestly had to worry about the cars a little bit in in the long grass. So up a hill into this long grass, it was horrendous when it was cold to camp in and, like, have Pokeny in the vajayjay on the way to the bathroom. And, oh, God, and then it was so cold. And my poor dad, he just, I don't know what he was thinking. I think he thought he was a bushman and I needed to remind him that he's in his 70s. Because he didn't bring a tent, he was he wanted to sleep under a tarp on a, on a camp mattress, and yeah. So when we got up at like four o'clock in the morning, I put Vegas's rugs over the top of him because I could see him just shivering in his little tarp. And it rained, it rained so much, um, which I'm jealous of right now because love rain. <laughs> uh, not at a ride, but you know, in general, when everything's dry. But anyway, yeah. So those were my memories of of far away back in 2016. Hello everyone, it's Crystal. I am submitting another story to the podcast. I just wanted to, um, I feel like on my first one I didn't really go through that we started our first novice in 2013 with my good riding friend Leslie Lloyd and she had her horse she started on was Bullet, her quarter horse. And I was on my Tennessee Walker Rocky Mountain Cross Mare Spirit and we did our first novice ride, and we got through that, and then we were kind of like, we're going to do another one. And so 2014 came, and we did a couple more novices, and um, we started like conditioning together, and then we decided we were going to try our very first 25-mile endurance, well, limited distance ride at Mosquito Run. And we did, and it was with Bullet and Spirit, and we both finished the ride. There was a lot of people. It was really, really hot. Um, we made it through and I think we just wanted to keep going. I mean, it was hard, but it was so worth it to get through the trail and for them to say you completed. Um, we continued riding and then we started riding. Uh, we did a novice ride with our other two horses. I did one with my, uh, gelding shadow 
He's an Arabian, and she did one with her leopard Appaloosa spot at Mosquito Run, like the next day. And they did okay, and so we started kind of doing a little bit with them. And we were conditioning, and my son went, and he needed to be dropped off, and we were out riding. And so they dropped him off at the gas station where we were riding, and I happened to have had another horse with me. Um, so we put him on that horse, and we ended up trotting home because we were conditioning. Well, he really enjoyed it. We're like part way out. I thought he would complain the whole way. He's like, this is kind of fun. He enjoyed it. And um, we decided, well, maybe he could try an endurance ride. Um, so we thought we might be able to do that. This was towards the end of the, the end of the year. So like there wasn't any more endurance rides. So we were going to try one in 2015. Well, we decided to do our, a mock ride and we were going, um, to do about 15 or 20 miles and ride to a town. And we got about a mile and something out. My horse spooked, bucked me off and it broke my leg. And so, um, Aiden was riding bullet. That's Leslie's horse. And, um, she was riding spot and I had to go to the emergency room. So they, I told them they had to finish. And so they did, they kept going and I had a broken leg, which took me out of most of the next, almost most of the endurance season, because not only did they have uh, the, I had to have surgery on the leg and then ended up having abdominal surgery after that. And then back surgery. Um, it just took me out until the end of 2015 where Aiden and Leslie and I, um, with Aiden riding Leslie's horse bullet is her quarter horse and, uh, Leslie riding spot and me riding the Tennessee Walker mare spirit. We finished a, 25 mile at Run for the Ridge, and we finished a 30 mile at, uh, I believe it was Point Chaser. And so they did, they did well, and Aiden decided he wanted to keep riding, so Leslie let him ride Bullet for all of 2016, and they were able to take first in the Mindra uh, Junior Division, and he took third in Umecra which was totally amazing. He was like so thrilled that he could do this riding and actually earn a prize or whatever at the end of the year. Um, and Leslie did a bunch of endurance rides with her spotted boy and then ended up doing distance driving and ended up doing endurance as well with him and did a couple fifties. Her horse can do just about anything. He does tricks. He does distance driving. He's done Western pleasure, English equitation. He's done just about, I don't think there's anything you could throw at this horse that he can't do. Um, but we usually, it's the three of us, and we're usually going to these rides together, and we usually end up in some kind of mishap. I think when we went to Maplewood our first time ever, it rained the whole way over there. And we were riding in a stock trailer and we pulled up at night. It was late. It was dark. We got a campsite and we're out there. We have no water. We don't know where the water is. We don't know the campground. And so the rain is just pouring off of the stock trailer. We grabbed some buckets, put it under the stock, like by the stock trailer to catch the rainwater so we could water the horses. 
We get them all taken care of, and we're soaked by the time we're done. There is not a dry piece of clothing on us. And we, at that time, slept in the back of the stock trailer. So we put a tarp over the top of it, which is really fun to do when you're, you know, in the rain. We got it up and discovered really quickly that it still kind of leaks in the inside of the stock trailer because, you know, there's no there's no walls up there. The stock trailer has the open thing. So we were able to place ourselves right in the middle about where we wouldn't get as wet. And um, that was the ride that we learned. I learned myself that if you don't bring an extra bra and it rains, you're really hurting. <laughs> so... Um, that's just one of our adventures. We ended up figuring out that usually when we go to an endurance ride, it somehow involves rain. But we've gotten better at how to prepare for it or what to do or extra, extra clothes and stuff like that. Um, we just, we have so many mishaps and we just laugh and laugh and laugh and we just call them our adventures. I hope to share some of those with you as I get better at this podcast. Hope to see you all out on the trail and I'll talk to you later. Hi again, Daryl from New Zealand. Christina had asked about crewing stories. First off, let me say that I'm pretty crap as crew. I get distracted by going and talking to people. I forget to pick out hooves. If you want crew, it's best not to ask me. In crewing for my friend Jenny at Tavis last year, I think my greatest contribution was in organising ahead of time and in bringing some absolutely awesome people with me. And in just being a Kiwi connection, I guess. The uh, One of my biggest things to be doing crewing for her was liaising on um, in the minimal, minimal reception um, various places was being able to liaise back with people in New Zealand on Facebook to uh, to let them know where she was up to and where we were at. So that was uh, that was my biggest thing for the day, I think. Since I started endurance riding, we've been we've often not had a lot of crew, so we're used to doing minimal crewing and having to do things, um, having to get a lot of things organised ahead of time for the next hold period. We can get away with that because we don't normally do outpost vetting, so everything's all centralised in one hold area. As Jenny said in the last episode, though, it's a lot more relaxing if you have crew to look after your horse for you so you can sort things out to go for the next loop. Like like remembering to go to the toilet. That's really, really hard to do sometimes. I remember one champs event about six or seven years ago. Out of four horses, we ended up taking only one. Salty had wrecked himself in a fence. The mares were out with snotty noses, so it ended up just being scratched into a novice 80. Consequently, I ended up with about eight people crewing for me. I jokingly said to them on the way that we, were, we weren't going to exactly be racing, so I could probably crew on my own. Coming in off the first loop, I looked around and none of my crew were anywhere in sight. I figured, oh well, they must have taken me at my, um, taken me at my word and trying to teach me a lesson, trying to make a point. Someone else came over and held the lead rope for me. A little bit of water, a couple of minutes later we were through the vet ring and headed back to the truck. My crew all looked at me in shock when I walked around the corner. They hadn't heard my number called, so they'd missed me. It wasn't deliberate at all. At the end of the next loop, they were all there. A couple of them decided there were too many people, so they stayed out of it. So I ended up with five crew instead of eight. I hadn't been going fast, but even so, Scratch's heart rate just wasn't dropping. <clears throat> I looked around and decided there were still too many people, so I took him for a little walk and stepped on the, stopped on the other side of the crewing area, Heart rate dropped like a stone into the vet ring and finished. Crew are wonderful, but it's important to have the right people and the right number of people. Some horses like lots of attention, and some like less excitement. 
I find that any tension between people is really bad. Horses pick up on it big time. So if your crew are having a bad day, it's better if they remove themselves and get out of the way. Um, certainly if you've got you know, family members and they're bickering between each other, it's a really, really bad thing to happen. It's just not relaxing and horses don't react well to it. That goes for riders too. As a rider, if you're stressed, then your horse is going to pick up on it and wonder what's happening and what they should be scared of. Certainly seems that way, going by heart rates anyway. Last year, at our North Island Champs, I ended up not riding. Originally, the plan was for me to ride Salty, and we had two Australian riders on two of the other horses, all in the 160. Then, about a week before the event, the mare on the team, Bonnie, stuck a leg in a fence and put herself out. So I gave my ride to Christine from Australia and took my place on the crew instead. It was quite funny. I remember we were sitting there at about, I think it was 5 o'clock in the morning, because our ride started at midnight or at 1 o'clock. So we were sitting there about 5 o'clock in the morning and it was really freezing cold, strangely because the rest of the day was so horribly hot and humid, but it was freezing cold. We were all three of us sitting there under blankets and deck chairs and my little dog was with me, so he was on my lap, just his head sticking out. It was quite funny. Anyway... From this really, really cold start, the, the crew turned out to be incredibly hot and humid, even for us Kiwis. The Australians were used to the heat but not the humidity, and Camille in particular found it really, really hard to deal with that humidity. My major job for the day, after checking with the ground jury it was OK, FEI rules say no on-course crewing, I ferried drinking water to Camille at road crossings to fend off dehydration. All ended well, and if the results are anything to go by, we must have done an OK job as both horses completed successfully. Whether we have extra crew or not, I like to have the hold and crewing area well organised. I'm a great believer in plastic boxes with lids and everything all in its own little areas. I'm a maker of lists. I make lists of what we need in each area and for each hold. I plan what food I want for my hold times. And then, of course, we turn up and all organisation goes out the window and stuff ends up all over the place anyway, and we still never know where that hoof pack is or where, that, or where the stethoscope is. Oh well, we can but try, and at least we start out tidy. It's relatively easy to be organised, at least to start with, when everything is normal, but it's a bit different when you're crewing for someone else or in another country. The first time I went to Tevis to crew for my friend Gabrielle, I felt completely unprepared. Gabrielle is amazingly organised, so it should have been really easy to slot in, but I felt like a fish out of water. I was unsure about how much water they like to use, somebody else's systems, somebody else's routines. It's, unless you actually know what they do, it's really hard to, to slot in and be... Um, and be inconspicuous, to be something that just happens. And I think that's really important in crew, is that you need to be just anticipating everything that's required so it doesn't actually require thought. The rider doesn't have to stop and actually think about anything. And that's really, really hard if you don't know what they do. That's why for Jenny, what Jenny was saying last time on the uh, on last podcast, she was saying they have their crew, and their crew just acts like a well-oiled machine. They just They just know what everybody needs, and they just do it. Anyway, for Gabrielle, I was, unfamiliar, I was unfamiliar with all of her routines. I didn't know what their routine, what they do for heart rates because, you know, American rides are very different and Tevis is different again. Feeding, outpost vetting is com was completely new to me. I don't know how much use I was to her on the day, but it was a great learning experience. I've been doing endurance for, I think, about 15 years now. Gosh, it doesn't seem that long. And I still feel like I'm winging it half the time. Always more to learn, and the biggest lesson is usually that you can plan all you like, but what happens on the day is going to be completely different. That's it from me for now. More next time.
Well, that's a story about losing something. Now, Sarah, our daughter, is going to tell you a story about gaining something. We were taking down ribbons from a ride and tie in the Fance Grove Forest in Clemson, South Carolina. And my dad was riding a mountain bike, and I was riding my mom's horse cruise. And we were riding along, and we came up to one of the trailheads, but it wasn't the one that we had parked at. And my dad looked over, and he said, I see a cat. And before he could really contemplate the error of his statement, I was off of the horse and calling to the cat, who promptly ran over to me and hopped in my lap. And so I looked up at my dad, and I said, I'm not leaving the woods without the cat. And he said, what do you mean you're not leaving the woods without the cat? We can't take a cat with us. And I said, I don't know. All I know is I'm not leaving the woods without the cat. And so he said, well, what is your plan? Are you going to put the cat in the saddlebag and ride back with it? And I said, if that's what it takes, I guess that's what I'll do. But I'm not leaving the woods without the cat. So we were at a trailhead. So he took the horse and rode the horse back and left me with the mountain bike and the cat and called my mother, and she came and picked me up at that trailhead. And so we now have a cat named Grover after the Fence Grove Forest. Hey, this is Chris again. I wanted to thank you for listening to episode 16 of the podcast. It was extra long. I realized that, but some of the files were extra long. I just hope you're enjoying it. Um, Give me some feedback on the Facebook page or feel free to email me at endurancehorsepodcast at gmail.com. And maybe we'll see you at the Midwest Horse Fair. I hope you're all enjoying your horses. It is all about the journey. We enjoyed having you along for the ride. Endurance Horse Podcast is where you get to share your adventures of riding good horses through beautiful country. Many stresses in life are washed away by a good gallop, a steady trot, or by simply saddling up your favourite horse for an easy ride. Remember, every mile a memory.